think Tevez going to Juventus, what, what a coup that was for me. I mean, On a head-to-head -head battle, Atletico Madrid can do uh, more damage to Barcelona than the other way around. Either he's really blind or he's fixing the match. I, I can't see it any other way. I'm, I'm trying to get Sir Bob on my side here by saying City will win the Premier League. It, it is an upset. You would expect Man United to go and win there. Over a billion dollars was paid in transfer fees uh, between the clubs in, in Europe. It's football. It's damn football. Like Ferguson said, football. Bloody marvelous. Yeah, well, the celebration was, I can't believe I just scored against Mexico. Uh, at one point, Parma, I think it's only like 224 players under contract. Hey, they're going to throw me out of here, fellas. You're going to get me arrested on your show. If you're a serious talent, you're going back and you're playing for Santos. You, you know, you're going back to, to play for, like in Argentina, for River Plate or Boca Juniors. Or you're going to Europe. He looked like the Ryan Giggs of old. He was more creative than any player on the pitch. Um, he made Matt look stupid. He made Rooney look silly. Now, the Premier League is what the most exciting league out there. I think it's probably the best marketed league without a question. When you look at the draw for the, the Champions League, you kind of say, well, all the pieces kind of fell into place for everybody except City. I am your host, Joe Ucello. Sir Bob, Mike Orr. My co-host, Rob Rojas. My trusted co-host, Ben the Machine. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to episode 375 of Low Limit Football on this 6th of January, 2023. I'm your host, Joe Ucello, and tonight we are back to start 2023 after our winter break. Lionel Messi finally adds that elusive World Cup title to his career trophy case. The world lost one of the greatest players ever in the legendary Pele. The leagues are all back, and a big upset turns up right away in Italy, and we're going to open our 2023 year with a big, big interview with the starting fullback of Hartford Athletic, Ash Apollon, who will be joining us in just a little bit. But first, let me get my co-host in here and back from his vacation, Mr. Roberto Rojas. How was it, my man? How are you, Joe? Good to be back. Good to kick off, what, year 10, I would say, yeah. of, of Loma football. Well, yeah. it's going to be year 10 this year. It's incredible. A whole decade of doing this. Um, but, uh, no, it was great to, to be in Paraguay as I always do every year, go there for the holidays, visit my family, my friends, get away from the cold weather that I saw, um, I think during the first few days of, of the Christmas break and yeah, I have no envy for any of you guys, but, uh, <laughs> no, it's, it's good to be back. And yeah, I mean, it's, it's been a while since we've been able to chat. Obviously a lot has happened in the world, um, in the world of football where, you know, like you said, we lost one of the greatest of all time. We saw one of the greatest of all time win the greatest trophy uh, that you can win the sport, some upsets. And here we are right again, 2023. Let's see what kind of stuff that we get in the beautiful game. The, the beautiful game is already on fire in many different ways. And uh, we're going to talk about a bunch of that in a second. I want to give you the trivia question quick. And I do want to spend 30 seconds on, on discussing Pele. I know that we did a hall of foot um, show. Oh God, going back about three years ago, featuring Pele. Um, so I want to get our thoughts on him, but first let me give you the trivia question, my friend. So, yep. um, this one's an easy one. It's going to involve Lionel Messi. Well, I don't know that it's easy. Um, Lionel Messi, um, has won every major competition that he's ever played in except for one. So what that means is that he's played in La Liga. He's won La Liga. He's won the Copa del Rey. He's played in the Copa del Rey. He's won it. He's now played in the world cup and he has won the world cup. Okay. 
There is one competition that Lionel Messi has previously participated in that he has not won as of yet. Can you tell me that competition? Yes, I do, because I did see that stat the other day. Um, So, yes, I do know the answer. All right. So we will give our listeners uh, that answer at the end of the show. Um, Again, before we get into opening thoughts, uh, I do want to spend two seconds on Pele. Obviously, the world uh, earlier this week lost the legendary Pele. Um, I'm sorry, late last week. Um, succumbing to colon cancer. Uh, you know, I, just just thinking about Pele, I know we've had the, the big discussions about who's the greatest ever. And, you know, we talk about Messi because he finally won that World Cup that now we kind of point to him as the greatest ever and so on and so forth. Um, but there was one thing that, like, it was a thought that occurred to me after listening to many people wax poetic about Pele over the past week or so. And that it's the fact that, was Pele the greatest? Possibly. Probably it's, it's obviously arguable. It's debatable. Um, but for me, Pele was the first meaning that all these other players that have come along, Cruyff, Eusebio, Cristiano Ronaldo, Diego Maradona, Lionel Messi, they're, they're all at one point in their careers. When you talk about absolute greatness, there is only one measuring stick that's ever been used. And that's Pele and Pele in, in perpetuity will be, will be that measuring stick for all the greats that we have today, all the greats that we have seen in the past, all the greats that have, that will come to us, uh, killing Mbappe moving forward. They'll all be measured by the measuring stick called Pele, um, which to me is a testament to, to his greatness. It's a testament to what he gave the world football. He really opened the world to football. You think about it. Um, football was nothing in the United States before he, before he came over for the NASL back in the late seventies. He's, he's opened the world to soccer and, um, and, and it's sad to, to, to lose him, um, you know, because he's such an ambassador to the game, but, uh, but he is the greatness that we will always measure greatness from, from here on out, whether it be in soccer and sometimes in any sport, um, will they have accomplished as much as Pele accomplished? And I just wanted to get the, the two seconds of that out there. And we'll probably sometime in the next few weeks repost that Hall of Foot uh, show. But, uh, but I just wanted to give two seconds to, to talk about Pele. Roberto, I'd like your thoughts on, on learning of the passing. Yeah, I mean, well, there, there was a quote, and this was kind of the most interesting one that I saw. This was back in 1970 during the World Cup when he obviously won it uh, with mm-hmm. Brazil. Some, a, a, a pundit on, on a channel in, in England asked, you know, how do you spell Pele? And the guy replied, easy, G-O-D. And I think that's just exactly what we can describe Pele as, mm-hmm. a god. And yeah, I mean, you could you could argue about who is the greatest, you know, that that's always going to be up for discussion until we breathe our last breath, I guess, mm-hmm. or, or the sport or this world doesn't cease to exist. But there is no doubt that he will be in that discussion forever. And he will always be the, the influence and kind of the, the measuring bar, like you said, Joe, of everyone that came afterwards. You know, he, he was the main global star and really helped make the sport the way it is now. Think about it. If it wasn't for Pele, none of us would have been able to talk about this. No. Think about it. So we have to go all the way back to a guy who, you know, last played professional soccer literally 45 years ago, 46 years ago now. So, yeah, for, for that impact to have been able to be so big for not just here in the States, but all around the world shows how big of a person is. And yeah, I mean, we could wax poetically about Pele for four hours, but we don't have the time to do that. Um, but no, I, I think this is someone that obviously will be regarded as, you know, the greatest ever, maybe for some, the greatest, 
greatest greatest athletes ever, greatest figures in 20th century history, I would say. I mm-hmm. think it goes into that. I mean, it, this this is someone that is world-renowned. He'll always be associated with the game forever. And, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's such a big loss to, to the community that, you know, unfortunately, you know, we had known he had, he had been sick for quite some time, and it was sad to see him go. Um, just like what we saw when Diego Maradona died three years ago, but it, his impact and his legacy will be told for numerous decades, centuries, millenniums um, until the the end of time, I guess. Absolutely, and and we you know obviously we express nothing but the the best for his family, his friends, his, his former teammates, um, and and everybody he's come in contact with. Um, rest in peace, uh, King of of football for sure. Let's uh, let's jump into opening thoughts. And, um, you know, this, this situation you and I saw was described by a journalist, not described, but when, once this situation broke out or the news broke out, one of them said, welcome to world football. Um, I don't know if you remember that in one of our chats, uh, but, uh, it's the, it's the drama, the saga of us soccer between Greg Berhalter, uh, Giovanni Reina or the Reinas in general, um, and what has happened over the last week. So right after the world cup, um, Greg Berhalter did what was basically a behind closed doors interview with, you know, with comments that weren't supposed to get out. Um, and, and he threw a player from the U S men's national team under the bus saying that there was a vote that we were going to send this player home. Ultimately it was decided to keep the player around. Um, but this basically this player was told that he was not going to feature in the world cup. There there was a lot of things that were said in that meeting. Come to find out that the player he was speaking of was Gio Reyna. Now, uh, Gio Reyna, you know, came out and said, yeah, the person that he was speaking about was me. I was disappointed. Um, you know, mea culpa. He did, he did offer an apology. Uh, he said he apologized to the players and the teammates and to the coach, um, for his actions, uh, and what had happened. And, you know, for the most part, as American soccer fans, we thought it ended there and it did not. Uh, earlier this week, we saw, uh, allegations come out, uh, on Greg Berhalter about domestic abuse or domestic violence, where he kicked his then girlfriend and now wife and, and mother of his four children. Um, as they were dating, uh, whatever had happened, I don't know if, I don't remember if alcohol was involved or not, but he quote unquote kicked her. Uh, the story comes out that, that he kicked her. He felt awful about it. They separated, they broke up. Um, for a period of about, I think I remember correctly from his, his statement, eight months and, uh, decided that with, uh, the, the woman, his wife, uh, you know, with the blessing of her family decided they got back together. Not only did they get back together, um, they were married, they have four children, they led a happy and healthy life and they were great friends with the Reynas, um, Claudio Reyna and his wife and their family, because um, the two missuses were roommates at North Carolina. They were both on the soccer team together. Obviously, the history with Greg Berhalter and Gio, um, I'm, I'm sorry, Claudio Reyna playing on the U.S. men's national team. There's a lot of history, and the fl- families were very close. Apparently, um, Mama Bear Reyna was not very happy with what had happened to Gio, how Gio was outed in the, in public, um, and then decided to do something about it and reported this particular incidents of domestic violence to us soccer, um, sort of as a, as a retaliation to the way her son was treated. Um, and, and obviously now with us soccer in their due diligence does have to investigate this. It comes out that it was Greg Berhalter, what he had done, the whole story, there's confessions on both sides. And now we're at a situation where I don't know that it's tenable for Greg Berhalter to continue to be the head coach, 
Um, you don't know if Gio Reyna will still can exist on the uh, U.S. men's national team. We've seen other players get ostracized from their national teams uh, in the past for indiscretions or, you know, or what have you. Um, but this has just become a massive, massive mess. I, I, I'd like you, Roberto, to add whatever little bits and pieces that you know of that I may not have mentioned um, here as we move forward to our reactions. I mean, where to begin? I mean, you know, this has certainly have been it's been a mess that has but can been really brewing ever since the end of the World Cup. I remember Joe just speaking about how, you know, we were talking about how badly Joe's kind of attitude has been um, because of the fact and hell, even going back as to like, you know, thinking, you know, why isn't Gio playing? Why isn't Berhalter giving the chance? How God thing which a lot of things would change in about a month after that. It's just it's incredible to see it. I, I think it's it's unfortunately now this has been my question and kind of been my concern. I, I'd like to know your thoughts too, but mm-hmm. before I get it before you get into your kind of your two cents, I'm just curious really, just going on to this. Did Gio Reyna tell his parents to do something about him not playing? Or did those leaks did the leak of what the press said that, you know, that was that Berhalter, the one that that he threatened to send back home um, from the from the World Cup, um, was that known beforehand? Mm. Did Gio do something? Or did his parents just saw what was being reported on the news and just went along with it just as an isolated incident? Because if that's the case, if I'm Gio Reyna and I'm going to be ostracized on the national team, I am absolutely pissed at my parents. And I would, you know, I'm not here to talk about family matters at all, but just like something like that that could ruin my international career, mm-hmm. you know, it's it's unforgiving. So, yeah, I mean... That's the thing, and obviously the investigation will tell us a whole different picture. But just the fact that the Reynas have to go into that and try to subject to blackmail, which you know everyone has their own definition of what it is. Mm-hmm. It is a felony, of course. But the fact that it had to come to that because my kid, in this case the Reynas, didn't play the World Cup, or or at least was being criticized and humiliated by their coach in a in a what should have been an off the record interview. It's just, it just creates a lot of, of issues. And unfortunately, Joe, mm. there isn't a real winner in there. It's not, it's not Burhalter. It's not his, it's not his wife. It's not Reina, um, Gio Reina. It's not his parents. You know, it's not us soccer. And it's also not even his teammates. You know, th- there really is no real winner in all this. Yeah. You know, and I'm glad you, I'm glad you kind of went down that path a little bit because, you know, when, when these situations happen, these things happen, you want to place blame, right? You know, who are we going to point the finger at? Whose fault is this? You know, we, that's how, that, that's how everyone reacts. Who are we going to blame on this? And, and I, and I've been going back and forth and I've been listening to a lot of other people talk about the situation. I've been, you know, mulling it around in my brain and I blame everybody. Okay. Uh, And, and I'm going to, and I'm going to point out why I blame everybody. I'm going to start with us soccer. I'm going to blame us soccer for this mess. And the reason I blame U.S. soccer is because U.S. soccer and, and Greg Berhalter's brother, okay, hired Greg Berhalter. They hired Greg Berhalter knowing that this happened, okay? So you knew that there was a, you know, a skeleton in a closet. You, you, you had to know. I, I mean, I don't care. If my brother, if my brother was dating a woman for, for four months, okay, and, and my brother kicked that woman in a drunken stupor. Do you think I'm not going to find out about that? I'm going to know about that. Okay. I'm going to know something that egregious. Okay. 
And I'm also going to know that they got back together and everything. And I'm going to know that. All right. So you can't tell me U.S. soccer, when they hired Greg Berhalter, did not know about this. They knew about it. They knew about it completely. Check mark number one. I blame U.S. soccer for this. Two, I blame Greg Berhalter for this because Greg Berhalter should have shut his mouth. Okay. Greg Berhalter did not need to go to some meeting and rat out Gio Reyna in terms of his, his, what happened. You know, you keep things in the family. You keep things in the locker room. We don't talk about those things outside the locker room. As far as Greg Berhalter and Gio Reyna are concerned, those things never happened. And they never happen until somebody says something, then they happen. So I, I blame Greg Berhalter. He did not need to open that can of worms. He should have just shut his mouth and not talked about it, but he didn't. Okay. And he opened up his yap for whatever reason and, and it got out. Okay. I blame Gio Reyna. I blame Gio Reyna big time because, and I'm going to give you my own personal world example of this. My daughter uh, is on the dance team for high school. And, and again, dance team for high school, World Cup man national team. I get it. They're two very big in different stages. However, my daughter did not make the team. She was listed as an alternate and she was upset about it. And she came home and she was not happy and she felt that she was better than everybody. And first things we said to her, go practice, be better. The next time you go and beat that person out for that spot and then it becomes yours. Don't cry to me that you didn't make it. You didn't make it because you need to do better the next time. And so Gio Reyna, okay, you are a great player. You might be one of the most talented offensive footballers this country has ever seen, but you didn't make it, okay? So shut up, get back on the pitch, practice, and make it next time. And then you can complain after you make it, all right? So Gio Reyna gets a massive dollop of, of blame for this. And then I have to blame the Reynas. Okay. I totally have to blame Reynas. This is the, the textbook definition of entitlement, right? I mean, come on. My, my kid plays on the U 13, uh, club soccer team here in town. And, and we pay a lot of money to get him there. And, Oh, what do you mean? You're not going to play my son. Is that so? Oh yeah. Well, we're going to poke the stick at the bear. Okay. Daniel Reyna had no business bringing this up. Okay, it was not her concern. It wasn't her place. If it was an issue, she she should have brought it up 30 years ago. If it was an issue, she should have brought it up when Greg Berhalter was a candidate to be hired at the Columbus Crew or a candidate for the U.S. Men's National Team. That's when she should have brought it up. Not, oh, because you threw my son under the bus. Get the, get out of here, okay? That's awful. Gio, uh, Gio, I'm sorry, Claudio Reyna and Danielle Reyna should be ashamed of themselves for the way this escalated to this point. All right. So they all have blame. They all carry a big piece of the pie here. And it's just a black stain on this on the soccer team. Roberto, what are your thoughts, man? No, I mean, I think <laughs> there's nothing more to say. I think, unfortunately, and, and I feel bad for, for his teammates more than anything, mm-hmm. because now they're going to deal with someone that, you know, unfortunately will carry around that kind of you know, I don't want to say dark cloud, but, you know, just kind of that baggage because of what had happened. Now, this is the main thing that's going to be the case, because what would Greg have said those comments knowing that he probably wasn't going to be in charge of the team afterwards? Because remember, he's out of a job. Mm-hmm. He's technically not the manager right now. It's Anthony Hudson. He's the, the assistant to to Berhalter, but he's currently taking charge right now. Why would he say those things? And yeah, again, maybe Berhalter knew that perhaps 
what he said wasn't going to get leaked to the press. But when you're a public figure, you know that you're not taking that chance. Or at least you shouldn't. Because <laughs> you say one thing, and in this age of social media and information that goes around everywhere, someone's going to find out. It's mm-hmm. a small world. As, as much as I was talking to a friend about this, I always like to say how like American soccer media is, such, is so small because you know when, when Grand Wall died, like everyone knew about that and everyone had a story. It goes this exact same way for the players, the coaches, and everyone involved in U.S. soccer. Word goes out. You, you even saw that. I think it was like Heat Pierce or like Eric Winalda even talking about that. Yeah. So, yes, word will come out. Um, but no, it's just it's it's very it's not what you want for a country that is three years away from hosting a World Cup with possibly the most talented American squad that they've had ever. And you're having basically, yeah, I, I always like to talk about Pulisic's being the best player on the side. But I think Gio Reyna has the most potential. He could be the one that could maybe surpass Pulisic. We don't know. Time will tell. But he definitely is on that path. And for him to to have been able to now deal with this situation, which, again, like I said, if I'm Gio Reyna, I'm pissed at what my parents did. But, of course, this doesn't excuse my action. Of course, Gio apologized. Remember, you have to remember that as well, Joe. I didn't want to interrupt you there, but he did apologize for what he said. Yes, he then later went on Instagram telling about how there were some situations and some words that he thought Burhalter didn't need to say. So, again, no one is pointing – no one is, is free from all this at the end of the day. But it just does not create a good mood for this U.S. side who, you know, now have an even – you talk about the pressure that they were when they got to that World Cup a couple months ago. Do you imagine the, the amount of pressure that they're going to have to be in right now because they're the host and, and they have to prepare for three years, you know, for all this to make sure that nothing bad goes happens? Mm. It's not what you want. No. No, it's 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 not what you want. It, you you can't you can't go forward. With and, and I and I like your example of, as well. Like you know, from a father to a son as well, or in your case, a father to a daughter. Mm-hmm. I think that that again, we we don't know what the Reynas are like. We, we can we say that they're entitled? I mean, from the way that this happened, we could say yes, probably. But I, I still, I genuinely don't believe that Gio literally went up to to his parents to say, "Hey, you know, my coach doesn't like me." You know, can you do something about it? I don't think he would be so stupid to do that because kids are kids at the end of the day, but still, I'm sure the parents knew very well that they could, they're going to knock some sense into their kids, especially if you are a professional player playing in one of the biggest teams in the world. Um, but it's, it's just, it's, it's embarrassing. It's, it's, it's a dark cloud. And unfortunately, it's, it's also a, a reminder of how, this also happens at all levels. You know, you think that this is something that, you know, is, is kept at like rec soccer, AYSO, when you're like, you know, coaching U8, like eight-year-olds and nine-year-olds and, and, you know, soccer moms and soccer dads are complaining to their coaches about why their kids are playing. For this to be happening at the professional level is embarrassing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, it's it's it's, it's a dark cloud um, and it also clouds the the path moving forward for me for the U S men's national team, because now let's, let's look at this. Um, you've got, you know, what, what is geo? Is he 19 now or is he 20? Um, no, he's 20. He's he 20, 20. Right. He just turned 20. So you've got a 20 year old geo Reyna who is easily going to be talented enough to play. And as long as he remains healthy, like you said, everything remains to be seen. 
um, is going to be with a part of this team for 12 years. You know, this, this almost screams club football. Now, who do you get rid of? Do you get rid of the superstar or do you get rid of the coach when things go sour? 99.999% of the time you get rid of the coach. The, the, the only time I've ever seen them get rid of the player is Cristiano Ronaldo. This, this, uh, <laughs> this winter, right? Um, that never happens. So, you know, and, and, you know, I don't know about you, but for me before, even before the world cup, I was always a Burhalter out guy. Right. And I just didn't think he was qualified to lead the team to, to where they needed to be. Having said that, I think their, their round of 16 finish, um, was probably as good as this team was going to do giving their youth. Right. Uh, so I, I can't really say that Burhalter did a bad job at the world cup. I can't say that he did a great job. Okay. Cause I know that there are times when we questioned his decision-making or lack of decision-making, but when you move forward from here, knowing the talent that you have, knowing the players that you have, if if the U.S. soccer if the if the U.S. soccer federation was going to rehire Greg Berhalter for another four years, which I would have said would have been a mistake, I don't think that can happen now, right? I mean, it, it, they they just can't. I don't I don't see a path out for U.S. soccer other than finding a new head coach. What, what you, I mean, I feel like that's the that's the only way because mm-hmm. again, like. Now you're giving him even more of a reason because what you're gonna are you gonna really ostracize Geo for four years when he's performing well at Dortmund if you are gonna keep a Peralta? No, no, of course not. And again, I, I even said as well, I'm not the biggest Burhalter fan in the world. And yes, it's 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 sad to see him go through that. It's sad to see him revisit you know past trauma from 30 years ago. It, mm-hmm. It's sad, and he shouldn't have to deal with it. Neither should his his family. And and you know, I'm sure he's a really good person. I, I'm I'm really confident that he is. But, you know, once your job is done and you've took the team and did the work that you had to do to rebuild a U.S. side that didn't make the last World Cup, make it again and, and, and put them in now in a in a path for them to hopefully do well as hosts in three years time. You kind of want to up the stakes a bit more. Yeah. And you soccer should do that with getting a better manager that could not only deal with you not deal with this kind of drama, but just is, is more you know, we, we mentioned the Shamps, um, you know, as a as a good, you know, manager that, that likes to change in game. Hmm. You kind of want those situations where the U.S., you know, are now more obliged to more pressure and to, to perform even better when they do host the World Cup. And, you know, I, I think with Burhalter, now with all this drama as well, I think for U.S. soccer that, again, I'm not pointing the finger to anyone besides everyone that we've mentioned, but I think if they want to in a way, get rid of this kind of drama, they have to move on from him. Because yeah. I think that's like the only way to move forward. I think so. I think so too. And I, and you know, and I, the, the, the plot twist here, the sad plot twist is, is maybe I don't feel good. Greg Berhalter is good enough to coach the U S men's national team moving forward, but he is a good coach. Right. And I think that if he, if he was done with the U S men's national team and he went back to MLS and picked up a job, you know, name a spot. Right. I think that would have been great for him. I think now because of this story coming out, even though the, and the thing is, is that this is a non-story, right? The, the domestic abuse thing, this is a non-story because he married the woman well after that. They have children. They have a loving family. I mean, this was a non-story until it became a story. And unfortunately for me, 
you're you're an MLS side, you're going to have to weigh that as part of your decision making in hiring Greg Berhalter. But you shouldn't though. Because you shouldn't. That, but, that, but it's it, going to happen it, naturally. It happened, but it happened 30 years ago, and also this wasn't the case where Berhalter got arrested or got no. pressed charges or anything like that. So right, no. But but this is all about court of public opinion, you know, and and that's the thing that that, that this this situation could stain someone's ability to make a decision to hire Greg Berhalter when he would be the best choice and maybe make a wrong choice because of it. And I think that's, I think that's awful. And I think that that should weigh on the Reina's heads, you know, more than anything else is that they've, they've probably ruined a good man or they've, they've, or they've potentially ruined a good man. And I think it's an awful, awful thing um, that has happened and should never have come to this because once, once Gio Reina came out and said, yeah, it was me. And I apologize, mea culpa. I'm sorry. It should have been dead, dead, done, and dusted. And that's that's where this really um, puts a dark cloud on on U.S. soccer uh, in general. So, my friend, let's table that discussion. We'll find out how U.S. soccer manages these rough waters uh, coming up in the next few weeks. And let's turn our focus to um, still U.S. soccer, but domestic soccer. Um, we were very, very lucky to open our 2023 year with a, a great interview with the starting wingback for Hartford Athletic in Ash Apollon. Ash uh, also plays for the U.S. I'm sorry, not the U.S., the, the Haitian national team. Um, has played at the Nations League. He also, uh, you know, played over in Thailand and Vietnam and, and has had a well-traveled career, signed a new two-year contract to play for Tab Ramos at Hartford Athletic, and we're very, very lucky to get him for our opening interview of the uh, 2023 year. So without further ado, the Ash Apollon interview. And joining us now on Low Limit Football, starting wingback for the Hartford Athletic in the USL, Ash Apollon. Ash, welcome to the show. It's a pleasure to have you on, my friend. How are you doing tonight? And first of all, congratulations on um, renewing for uh, two more years in Hartford. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure for me being here, and uh, I appreciate the invite. Awesome, man. So let's talk about that that two-year contract. Uh, another two years in Hartford. Uh, what are your thoughts on uh, on renewing and staying in the USL for another two years? Um, the most important thing for me at this point in my career is stability. So uh, the turnover in the league is pretty high normally. And when you find somewhere where you're happy and you're comfortable uh, with, you know, things that you're used to doing and getting comfortable with where you're living and getting accustomed to everything that's around you, it's easier for you to stay within that market and then try to continue and flourish. So uh, the opportunity to stay in Hartford was big time for me because I did want to stay and keep growing as an individual in general in that region and area. So, so, Ash, I do wanted to ask really more about kind of your career. Obviously, you know, you, I'm looking at some of your, your information and kind of where you come from, you know, obviously you've had quite the experience playing in numerous countries, playing in, in Southeast Asia, playing in Vietnam, playing in Thailand, you know, playing in France as well. And then, of course, coming back here to the to the United States, I, I guess I wanted to ask, you know, what, what has been kind of the, the learning experiences and kind of what you've been able to get from you know, playing in all of those type of countries in terms of being able to to form yourself as a as a player. Yeah, I, one thing and first thing I can say to you is uh, one of the richest things that I've found as an individual is traveling the world. When you get to travel the world, see different cultures, you learn so much than if you were just sitting there and not going anywhere. So. 
the first professional opportunity I had was in Thailand, and uh, it was through a, a professional player that was playing in the MLS that I was friends with and used to train with. Uh, once I got out of college, um, he well, I didn't finish all my years in college because I wanted to transfer and get in the MLS draft, but I found an opportunity that I couldn't refuse, and I went for it. And to be honest, my first year as a professional overseas in Asia was, I could say, one of the best seasons and experiences I've ever had in my life. So first of all, it's a big culture shock, but then you get used to it, you get accommodated, and, and yeah, it was wonderful. It was amazing. Was there, was there any country that kind of stood out out of all the countries that you've been to and from France, Vietnam, um, uh, Thailand? Yes, actually, I if I say when I started playing soccer, I saw myself playing in Vietnam, I would be lying to you. So <laughs> it's a market that I had no clue about. Um, even right now, some of my friends who I'm talking about those things to, uh, they didn't even know. Like there was a big market over there, um, you know, with um, teams paying like extent, like big amount of money to sign players and things like that. So when I was in Thailand and ended up transferring um, to Vietnam, it was it was surreal for me because when it was presented to me, um, they offered me to come and see it if I like it and. I had one of my friends that played there and he said, yes, you should come and, and try it out. And I didn't regret that at all. I, I, I went and, and it was amazing. So I think that's probably one of the experiences that I learned the most from. But also as an, a Haitian American and being over there, you considered, uh, um, how do you call it? You're like a designated player and you considered a foreigner. So it's not the same as when you're playing in the U.S. So like the pressure's higher and it's like, especially when you get paid more as well. It's like there's different different responsibilities you have. And um, yeah, it was it was intense, but it helped me grow a lot more and mature as a player. And then obviously that's a good segue to my next question because you did mention Haiti, obviously, playing for the national team. And I think, you know, a lot of attention is really going to be made on CONCACAF in the next few years because obviously with the World Cup happening there with three teams, um, three countries actually co-hosting the tournament in Canada, Mexico, and the United States. That kind of opens up more opportunities and more slots for other nations to come through. One of them being, of course, Haiti. So I just wanted your thoughts and like kind of you know ask you know how have you guys been setting up? Obviously, you got Nations League coming up in in a couple of months, which helps you perhaps to qualify for the for the Gold Cup, and then obviously World Cup qualifying. You know what, what's what's is that something that you, you dream of, of of being able to play in a World Cup in in three years time? Yes, um, I mean that is the biggest stage, <laughs> to be honest. Um, firstly, as representing your country is like the biggest stage in a way as a footballer, because uh, you can only be a part of a select few to represent a whole country. It's different when you're playing for a city or a club, no matter as big as it is. But when you get that calling for your country, it's it's surreal. It's something else. And given um, with that being said, um, it is a big dream for any player. Um, to play in a World Cup because, like, like I said, it's the biggest stage with, you know, billions of people watching. So um, for us, yes, uh, personally, whether I'm part of it or not, I would love to see Haiti go back to World Cup because the last time we went to a World Cup was 1974. Um, so um, it, it takes a lot. Yes, now it's like we're a good country in the Caribbean. Uh the big obstacle to qualify for the World Cup mostly has been going through um, Mexico, USA, and Canada, which are no. Well, it was mostly Mexico and USA, which were like the 
the kind of top in the CONCACAF. And then Canada now is good. Actually, Canada is a team that knocked us out of the World Cup qualifiers mm-hmm. this year. So, um, yeah, not having to battle with the teams could make the path a lot easier, but you still have to go through a lot to qualify. So it's not just a walk in the park. So uh, it's not till 2026. So there's a lot of preparation, a lot of dream, a lot of hope uh, for the Haitian people. And um, as long as the federation comes together and does the recruitment right and the preparation, um, yeah, it's possible because one thing I've noticed and seen uh, with my experience with Haiti is that there's so much talent, but the organization has to be, you know, match the level of talent we have, and then we can go a lot further. Now, Ash, I want to jump in real quick um, and, and stick to Haiti for a second, because Roberto and I, we, we just finished a series of uh, previews for the World Cup for all the 32 teams that were going to the World Cup. One of the questions I always ask at the end is, what does what would winning a World Cup mean for the people of country X? Or what, what, what would a successful World Cup be like for, for players in that country? With Haiti, you you think about the earthquakes. You think about the, a lot of the suffering that has happened in that country over the years. Um to to qualify for the World Cup for the first time since '74 and to to even be successful, what would that mean to the people of Haiti? Do you think? Oh my God! So I'll I'll, I'll give you a, a just a small example. So mm-hmm. um, Haiti right now is being for the past maybe ten years or so have been ravaged by you know politicians, ravaged by gangs, ravaged by poverty and everything. So. Mm-hmm. The one thing, this is how I started playing soccer, because when I was here in the States, I did not play. It's not until I was 16 and I moved to Haiti, that's when I picked up soccer, because that was the passion there. It was like almost inevitable. So um, when there's football on, it's like everything is quiet. You don't hear any games. You don't hear any shootings. You don't hear, it's like everything is people like, we've had such a bad period these last few months, and then the World Cup started, no incident. So it was it was crazy. So it's like regardless of who, where you're from, what you do, it's like people come together to watch um, and support, you know, the World Cup. Like some Haitians, they pick Argentina. They follow Brazil. We have a big Argentinian and Brazilian um, following Haiti. So uh, can you imagine having your own team being able to qualify for that. So it would be it would be surreal. It'd be, it'd be crazy. I cannot even I don't really have the words to explain how amazing and special that would be for the Haitian people. I mean, I mean, we saw what it meant to the people of Argentina. That was their third title. So I, I can't even imagine what it would be like uh, in, in a country like Haiti. I want to jump. Exactly. Um, I, I want to pull you back to Hartford real quick. Um, Cause obviously, you know, you've been in Hartford roughly about a year, um, almost two years now. Um, and now with the two year contract renewal, I, you know, I think it's fantastic that you're sticking around for a while. You've had the, I guess, either the luxury or the misfortune, uh, depending on how you want to look at it, of playing under three different head coaches. You've come in under uh, under Harry Watling, um, who was unsacked last year, and Ray Reed, who was legendary in um, in college soccer, uh, took over yeah. for him as an interim. Uh, you know, Ray Reed won the national championship with UConn. He won Division Two with Southern Connecticut. I actually, you know, small claim to fame. I actually played against. A Harry Reed, uh, I'm sorry, a Ray Reed team in um, when he was coaching at Southern, and then from there you go to the to the famous Tab Ramos, um, who definitely in U.S. circles is, is extremely well known. He was coach uh, in Houston. He was coach of the U20s here in the U.S. Men's National Team. Probably a finalist for the head coaching job before Greg Greg Berhalter. Um, what for me? What I'd like to ask you: so going from Watling to Reed 
to Tab Ramos. What have been the differences um, going through the three different coaches, especially in such a short window for you? Okay, so so to to make to make it short and 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 very simple um, for any team, it is not an easy thing when things are unstable. Okay, mm-hmm. just like I said, one of the reasons I stay here is because of the stability. I get used to the place. I get used to the people I'm working with, et cetera. So it's a good thing. The other part of that is on the sporting aspect. If we can have one coach that is there and you know, okay, this is our leader. This is um, who's going to guide us through the season. This is who um, we're going to work our asses for. It's difficult. <laughs> you know what I mean? So part of that instability um then you, you don't have enough good results and all that stuff. So, so it's tough. So uh, as a player, you want like to find a mixture, like as competitors, you want a mixture of, you know, professionalism and um, guidance and leadership. So when you can have all that in a coach, it is key. Like I thought last year we had a really good group of talented players, but, could not really find the good chemistry and the good balance to move forward and do great things. So it was like we were we started, we lost a lot of games, and then we were at the bottom of the league. And then we would go play teams, and they're like, no, we are way better than our record. And then it picked up, we got better, it got better, we moved up, we moved up. And then to to go back and answer your question, um, it is very hard. It is it is very hard. We wanted stability and when Coach Tab came in um, mentally for everyone that provided that mental stability, um, the professionalism and the way him and his staff work, it's it's really great. And at least knowing that he's going to be there from now and, you know, a couple more seasons and stuff like that, it was a peace of mind for us, the players who are deciding to stay in Hartford and because we don't, we don't really want to go through the same thing. You understand? So, even when Coach Reed takes over, and Coach Reed is a, is a legend uh, in the area and amazing um, leader for us, but we knew he was just an interim coach because we knew he didn't want to be coaching anymore. He took the role as a sporting director, but we didn't have anybody available, so he had to take over. So even that in our heads, like, okay, Coach Reed is leading us, but we know he's not there forever, and we know he's told us that he's going to be looking for a coach, you know, to, to take us through the rest of the season and and, and, and so on. So uh, when Tab came in, obviously, we were all surprised. Um, we were all excited, and when he came in, you know, he kind of won the trust of a lot of us, like, which for me personally, if it didn't go well, then I would not have to be signed or stayed, because it is important to have a relationship with the coach and the person that is leading you. So, so yeah, um, it was very unstable, a lot of turnover. But now I think we can, you know, relax and 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 look forward to to good twenty twenty three season. And and I'll tell you, the results under Coach Ramos uh, were definitely visible once he took over the leadership there. Um, I want to yeah. I want to ask you another question about leadership real quick, and then I have one more question to close. Um, ultimately, uh, under except for twenty nineteen under Philip Masmussen, Danny Barrera has been the captain of this team. Uh, from a yeah. spectator point of view, um, from me sitting in the stands watching, um, I, you can see the leadership and how people surround him. I, I want to ask you as a player, what does Danny Barrera bring to the table that that makes people follow him into battle so quickly? Um, first things first is he's been there since the beginning. So 
He's been in the team since the beginning. He um, has established himself as a, first of all, as a technical leader. Okay. So when you have a player that is good and um, that is making things happen, that already makes him a leader, whether he talks a lot or not, but technically that makes him a leader. And just his presence in general, knowing that we have him and the things that he's done for the club, the records that he's broken and all that, I think that um, adds up. And um, once you hear Hartford Athletic, you have to hear Danny Barrera. You understand? So um, even when I came in, um, I knew him and I knew about him because uh, I had trained with him before. So he's the one I even talked to, to, to ask about the team, how things are around. So, so yeah, um, him as a captain, yes, great. And, and yeah, we hope that he keeps on, on leading us and hopefully next season he can have a great season. And so for us as well. So clo- closing out the interview, I want to ask you about your looking forward to the 2023 season for Hartford Athletic. Um, did not make the playoffs last year. I've only made the playoffs once in their history. But under Tab Ramos, once he took over the, the helm, really started to progress, move forward, and, and, and be much more dangerous, a, a team that you expected um, to see. Now, taking that a step further, what is your outlook, and what is the team's outlook for 2023 uh, heading into the USL season? Well, um, I want to say we are the sleeping giants. And 2023 is the year that we do wake up. And um, uh, I am super excited to see the team that we're building because with one thing with um, with Coach Tab coming in, um, I know he's hungry. I know he, he wants to win. He's a winner. So he's not going to accept mediocrity. And um, um, and he is you know going to push everyone. So with the recruitment I see that's happening right now, I have really, really high hopes now. Like I said before, last year we did have good players, so we had good players. But it, it, and like you said, when Tab came in, you could see the difference during the end of the season. So basically, he keeps the players that he feels like he can move forward with. The players that during the last month and a half that he was that he was satisfied with on their work rate, personality, because it's it's a mixture of that. You can have um, some good athletes, but they're not good people to have in the locker room. So it's a mixture of both to keep the team going and moving forward. So for 2023, honestly, I don't expect anything less than a top, like top five finish. I would, that's what I would love. Eight make the playoffs. So if we could finish within the top four, top five, that would be a, a good thing this season. But um, um, I'm not going to go out and say, okay, we're going to finish first place. Obviously uh, we want to finish first place and we want to win the league. So that's the objective as competitors. So we just got to get into preseason and put in the work. And then, yeah, um, the fruit of our work will will determine where we end up at the end of the season. I'm sure the Hartford fans will definitely be excited for playoff action coming up this fall. So, Ash, I want to thank you for joining us uh, on the on the podcast um, and giving us all your time. Best of luck to you and to Hartford Athletic this season. And we look forward to having you back again soon, hopefully after you win that USL championship later this year. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Enjoy the rest of uh, your day or evening. And uh, yeah, Happy New Year's to everyone. Happy New Year, man. And special thanks again to Ash for joining us on the show. Roberto, we are going to skip match of the week this week. There are many, many matches staggered throughout the next week and a half. So we're going to tell our listeners to just basically check your local listings listings for your favorite league, your favorite team, um, and check it out uh, because there's plenty of football going on over the next week and a half. So... Earlier in the show, I gave you a trivia question that Lionel Messi 
has won every competition he's participated in except for one, meaning that he has played in La Liga and won the La Liga title. Uh, he's played in the Summer Olympics and has won the Olympic gold medal. He's won Ligue 1 um, and he's played in it. But there's one competition that he has participated in so far in his career that he has not won. Can you tell me which competition it was? Yes, I can. So the only competition that he has not won yet is the domestic competition in France, the Coupe de la France. That is correct. The Coupe de la France is the only title Lionel Messi has not won. Thank you to Fox Soccer for posting that uh, trivia question for us. So uh, without further ado, my friend, I have nothing left on the list. So uh, with a good kick to 2023, let's get this year rolling. Let's do it. All right, here we go. So special thanks again to Ash Apollon for joining us on the show. Next week, we will bring back our show at our regular weekend time. We'll give you all the matches and highlights coming up from the top five leagues in Europe as they get back into the swing of things status post the World Cup. So for episode 375 of Low Limit Football, I am Joe Ucello. I'm Rodolfo. Thanks for listening, everyone, and good night. <laughs>